You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thank you, Maria. How are we doing, Embassy? Good morning. It's always uh, great to gather with you guys on the Lord's Day. If you're a guest, uh, super glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, my name is Chris Greer. I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy. Uh, and we actually have a lot to get into, uh, and so we're going to jump into it fairly quickly. Um, I want to give us our bearings uh, a little bit, a little context, especially if you are a guest. Um, but we're jumping back into our series titled Union. Uh, this is a series that we started in the fall, uh, looking at this, this New Testament letter, uh, this little book called Ephesians, which is known as the Epistle of the Church. And in the fall, we looked at the first half of it, which is the first three chapters. Ephesians breaks super nicely in half, first three chapters chapters, uh, look at what the gospel is. This message that if you come to embassy for any length of time, uh, we talk about over and over and over again. Our, our primary value is gospel perspective. Um, it's not just a message, it's a worldview. It's something that is absolutely transformative um, and should change everything about you if you really grasp it and understand it. And so the first half of the book of Ephesians um, really gets it at it, it gospel's or what the gospel is, and, and just like the principles at the core of it, okay? And the second half um, is, is really gospel praxis. What are the implications of the gospel in the life of somebody that really grasps it, okay? Um, and so we're going to jump back into that sermon series um, this morning. We, we started kind of part two uh, last week, uh, and if you weren't with us, we looked at, at God's design for the church, because again, uh, Ephesians is kind of known as the epistle of the church. What is the church? And so many concepts maybe pop in your head, but, but ultimately the church, uh, it's people. Um, it's this room, okay? Um, this is a local church. It's a, it's a local expression, a manifestation of a universal church, but it's the people of God, those who are called out to, to, to live and look different. Um, from the world and have been changed by by the gospel. Um, and so last week we looked at God's design for for the church and church growth. Um, and we talked about God's design is to grow up. Okay, um, that church growth though it can kind of be a buzzwordy kind of thing. Um, God's design for you if you're a Christian is that you mature. All right, that you don't look the same tomorrow that you do today. Okay, um, and. What we're going to look at this morning is kind of a continuation of the same as we kind of finish out chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4 of that book. If you're new to the Bible and this is all kind of unfamiliar to you, don't be shy about stopping by the table of contents to ask directions. Um, but Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter, is going to carry on this idea of Christian growth, Christian maturation, gospel transformation, Okay. Um, and really the questions that it should answer for us this morning um, are even more broad um, and I think interesting if you're not a Christian even. Um, but we're really getting at how do people change? How do you change? Like what really transforms people? Can people change is even a, 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 a debated concept, okay? Um, and I would say absolutely people can change. And this passage is going to give us how. How people change um, and, and really kind of the, the, the details of the in and out. Now, um, I want to talk about Christmas for a second because uh, at our house, uh, I'm married, um, I guess 11 years in, four kids, and uh, Christmas has now become like more sorted. 
You know, the first Christmas, you're trying to figure each other out, and you got all these different, like, you know, home family experiences, and you're like, well, we do this, and to not do that is, like, really weird, and you know, right? But 11 years in, you're like, you have your roles, at least me and my wife do, does. And when it comes to, are my kids in here? All right, I need to check this. Um, they're listening to the walls. Um, in, in my household, um, this is how Christmas works, at least with gifts for our kiddos. Allison does everything, and I do nothing. It's just, it's just worked itself that way. I do some things, right? So, so Allison buys everything. She thinks of everything. Um, she's a great gift giver. I am not. Um, I simply pay for it. Um, I pick the Amazon packages up and bring them inside when I come home from work on the daily in the month of December. I stress a little bit at how many Amazon packages I pick up. We have a fight or two in the beginning of the month, you know, about a lack of budget. I mean, this is an annual fight for us. Um, and then uh, I put all the toys together, you know, and usually like Christmas Eve, which was tough because we did a Christmas Eve gathering, right? And so I came home and it was, it was, it was back to work, right? I mean, hours of laborious assembling of Paw Patrol towers and things of that nature. And so this is, this, is, this is where I'm going with that. I assembled a three-foot-tall Paw Patrol tower for my four-year-old, which has been a hit. And she plays with it every day. And look, I play with it every day. It's cool. It took me two hours to put this thing together. And I needed two things to do that. I needed the box that had an overblown, like, hyperbolic picture of how awesome this tower is um, that it actually sort of almost lives up to, you know, but false advertising sort of. Um, but I also needed the the manual, the assembly manual, okay? I needed the end picture of what it ought to look like, but I needed the steps on, on how to get there, okay? Uh, in a sense, what Paul's trying to do in chapter four is give us the bigger picture on the front end of this chapter, which we looked at last week. God's design for you, if you're a Christian, is for you to grow up, for you to, for you to look less like your old self and more like your new self in Christ than you did the day before, but we need to know how to do that, because that's not easy, okay? And so this back half of chapter four is gonna give us a lot of the how. How does that work? And this is why this is really important. It's my experience as a pastor that most people um, don't understand the human constitution. You don't know yourself. You don't know how you're made up. You don't understand the connection ultimately between your heart, your head, and your hands, okay? And you can hear these, these great challenges in Scripture if you're a young Christian, um, and you, you only really go surface deep, okay? You only really try and apply it in conduct. And, man, the Bible has a way of producing really, really good moralists. It has a way of producing phenomenal religiosity, but that's not gospel transformation, okay? So if you don't grasp this as a young Christian, um, Either one, you're going to fall into this ditch of becoming a really judgmental person that no one wants to be around, and it seems like, like it's the trope in every Hollywood movie, right? When they picture a Christian, right? They're just stiff and judgmental and prudish, right? Um, or you're going to get wrecked by sin because you don't understand how pervasive the seeds of it are in your heart, and you're going to get exacerbated by the hamster wheel of religiosity because you're only dealing with conduct, and you're more often not reading this chapter wrong. You're reading as a big list of rules, and then when you don't measure up to the rules, you feel super shameful and guilty. And that is not at all the tone or the tenor 
of this passage, let alone any of uh, our letters here uh, in the New Testament. So um, really important that we understand this, okay? So let me read for us. This is kind of how I'm going to move us through. We're looking at how do we mature? Um, What does it take for us to really change? How are we really transformed from Godless to Godly, okay? Um, And and we're kind of moving those three chunks, right? How we used to live as Godless, as separated from the life of God, uh, how we're being changed, um, how we're being made Godlike, and then ultimately how we now live, how we're called to live as Christians as godly, okay? And I'm going to move us actually through a bunch of verses, and we'll end in chapter 5, uh, verse 5, okay? Um, so this is Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Let me read for us. I'm reading from the CSB, and you can track along with me. It says, Therefore... I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Okay? So in the Bible... Um, when it talks about walking, it's really talking about living, okay? Um, the way you walk is synonymous with the way you live. It's synonymous with your conduct, all right? So here, um, the Apostle Paul is imploring this young church plant Ephesus and, and, and Christians uh, today, us in this room, that we shouldn't walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles um, is, um, is a statement for those who don't know God, okay? And so Christian... You shouldn't live like you used to live when you didn't know God. Like there should be a, a very clear difference in life then and life now. And if there's not, if you look like a chameleon, if you look exactly like your context or exactly like your old self, that's a yellow flag. Okay? Are you tracking with me? That, 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 that Christianity is not about the transfer of information. That's religiosity. You can come in here and learn a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it's about transformation and what God is doing to recreate humanity to look less like our broken, sinful old selves and more like his perfect son. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? Okay, so if you are a Christian uh, and you're reborn by the Spirit and you're called to grow up, um, man, the Christian life should, make, should, be, should be us taking steps towards greater and greater godliness. All right? And so we're implored, don't walk as the Gentiles do, okay? In the futility of their thoughts, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Now, um, if you look in the Old Testament, especially Genesis, uh, a great picture of this is Genesis 6, okay, and and it's Noah. Uh, One of the most depressing chapters in the Bible, obviously Genesis 3 is depressing, uh, known as the fall, Um, but Genesis 6 is when stuff just goes from like bad to worse to worse, and you see the plague of sin in creation, okay, because after the fall, the first thing that, that the Bible pictures to us is the pervasiveness of sin to the next generation, and you see Cain killing Abel, brother killing brother, and it only gets worse, okay? And in Genesis 6, um, you get a, a statement like this in, in chapter 5. The Lord looks down on the world. He looks down on humanity, and he says it's, he sees human wickedness. He sees that it's widespread on all the earth, and it says that every inclination, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil 
all the time, and the Lord regretted that he made man. I mean, I'm talking like that is a, a low point in like our chart, right? If you're like, man, I want peaks and valleys. That is a valley, okay? Um, and it is sad, right? And this is where the Lord says, I'm going to judge the earth, and he floods the earth. But there's one man, it says in verse 8 of chapter 6, that found favor with the Lord. This is Noah. And it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God, okay? Um, and so um, with Noah in chapter 6, um, he was different. He was distinct. And his conduct looked different. But it's because his relationship with God was different. All right? It, it went deeper than his conduct, but it, it, it wasn't less than that, okay? Um, so really important that we see that. We see that, man, with the Christian... Um, when God begins to work in their life, ought to look different than they did before and start ought to look different than the world around them because the world is corrupted by the pervasiveness of sin, okay? What I also want you to see is not just the pervasiveness of sin, but I want you to see the constitution that the Apostle Paul outlines of, of who we are as created beings, okay? Look what it says, um, and I just want you to see the flow of it, Okay? It says that um, we shouldn't walk, right? Talking about our conduct. Um, and then it goes to thoughts. It goes to comprehension, okay? Um, and then it goes to conviction, hardness of heart, okay? And so I just want you to see the flow. The way you walk is because of the way you think. The way you think is because of what you believe, all right? Really important, really simple, really important. Your feet do what they do because your head does what it does. And your head does what it does actually because of what your heart does. All right? Your conduct is impure. My conduct was impure as a non-believer because my comprehension of God was ignorant. I did not see God for who he actually truly was. Right? God was distant. God was aloof. God was harsh. He was all these things, but he wasn't beautiful. He wasn't lovely. He wasn't holy. He wasn't gracious, okay? And because my, and my comprehension was ignorant, ultimately, because my conviction about God was in opposition. That it goes even deeper than my thoughts, that my heart was hard towards God. You know, me and Allison were getting little tiffs here and there, um, usually me, um, and this is the question she always asks me, is your heart soft towards me? And I'm like, yes. And I don't know why, but I am a sinner. Like, even as a Christian, like, I am a, a sinner saint. And, and, and just sin is just so deeply seated in my heart that the person I should love the most, I can get so sideways with. Right? And so she's not, she's not addressing my conduct, which she can, right? My tone, usually. My condescending tone. Right? Um, she's going to the heart of the issue. And so I want us to see our human constitution because, again, if you don't and you become a Christian and you're trying to do this follow Jesus thing, it gets really hard real quick when you don't see the conduct change. So where does that come from? Well, ultimately what we're going to see is we've got to dig deeper, okay? Um, so um, we've got to move on. We don't have tons of time. But, but Jesus talks about this and nails this in Matthew 15, if you just want a reference. Um, this is when Jesus is getting challenged by the religious leaders, okay? Um, 
and he's getting challenged for not keeping up religious traditions about like washing of hands before he eats things. Okay, and this is how he responds, just so brilliantly in Matthew 15, 18 through 19, saying this. He says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Okay, so he's going, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out. Okay, it's not about don't touch and don't taste and eat this or don't eat that. He, Jesus always got to the heart. He got to something deeper. He goes, it's what comes out of the mouth that ultimately defiles a person. From, from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. Okay, it's the heart that's the problem. And this is what the gospel goes at, okay? Um, <clears throat> I want to move us on. Look at verse 20, okay? So this next chunk then goes, okay, um, this, is, this is what you were, okay? And so don't be that anymore because you're not that anymore. It's an appeal to identity. Um, but this is, this is how transformations should be working out in your life. Um, this is how things should be changing, okay? And it says this. It says in... Ephesians 4.20, that is not how you came to know Christ, all right? That's not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and truth. Okay, and so the imagery here is this this wardrobe change. Okay, this apparel change, right? This outfit change. You're taking off the old self and putting on the new. All right, uh, and this is all coming because if you're a Christian, you encountered Jesus. All right, and Jesus, in His own words, is truth. All right, I am the way, the truth, the life is the way Jesus would put it. Jesus is the physical embodiment of what is true, okay? And so this is what happens um, when you're reading the Bible, especially the Gospels, and you actually see Jesus for who it is, for who he is, excuse me. Um, the power of his person comes through the page, doesn't it? Like every Christian I've ever talked to has had this experience, okay? And if you're looking at me and going, this is strange, um, yellow flag, okay? Because um, you might be reading the Bible as just a list of rules of do's and don'ts, okay? But man, if you really see Jesus for who he is as the embodiment of what is true, all right, it just, man, it, it, it levels you. He levels you. The way he lived his life, the way he interacts with people, the way he, he interacts with the down and out and the up and out and the poor and the broken and the marginalized, the way he interacts with the irreligious and the religious. And you're looking at just perfect humanity. And you're going in every circumstance, in every situation, with every word and every encounter, like godliness personified because he's actually God in person, okay? And so what this is saying is, man, Christian, if you've heard about Christ, if you've been taught by Christ, man, something's, something's got to change. You've got to see things differently, okay? Uh, and when you do, what that feeling is is conviction. And, and if you're a Christian, you've repented, Right? You, you, you've seen what's true, and in light of seeing Jesus for who he is, you're able to see yourself for who you actually are and the world for what it actually is, and the whole veneer falls away, doesn't it? 
Right, you start to be able to see temptation for what it is. You start to be able to see um, sin for what it is. It's always over-promising and under-delivering. And you realize, man, your greatest enemy is, is the passions that are at war within you that you can't do anything about. And the gospel comes in and just frees you. Right, shines a light on it, and and like this is this conversion experience, this this rebirth that you hear Christians talk about, that you hear the scriptures uh, read and write about. Okay, it's because we see Jesus is true. All right, I want, I want to give an example of this um, with the Secret Service. Now, Secret Service uh, was started around the Civil War. Okay. And it was actually started um, not for protection of government officials, right? That's how we know the Secret Service um, more often than not, right? It's like, you know, the eagle is landed, right, which is the president. If you don't know code, now you do. Um, and, and we think the Secret Service is just like protection detail, which they do do that. But the primary um, reason the Secret Service was created then and is actually um, in use now is actually for um, counterfeiting. Okay, because the Secret Service uh, is responsible for um, for investigating counterfeit currency and fraudulent schemes and things like that. Now, when you think about training as a Secret Service agent, I've used the example before. Um, there's one way that they can train you to be a Secret Service agent and, and look for counterfeits, right? They can lay out like every counterfeit that's ever been been confiscated. I mean, you, you could imagine just like thousands upon thousands of like, man, look what they did here with this little strip or, or this ink blot or anything like that. And you can lay that out and it's like, okay, just memorize all these. So when you're on the job and you see this come through, right, you're good, okay? The problem with that is, is that'll, if you master it, allow you to, to identify all the counterfeits that have been done before, but nothing that has yet to be created, Right? That's why the Secret Service doesn't train that way. Um, bamboozled you. Um, the Secret Service trains for counterfeiting by actually helping their agents identify what an authentic dollar bill or piece of currency looks like. I mean, inside and out, right? So you just, you just have a sense something's off. I don't know why this is not a real 20, but like that doesn't look right, okay? So let me translate. If you're a Christian, um, man, the first step... And growing up is just staring at the truth that is Jesus, right? It's understanding authenticity at its core. And the more and more you stare at Jesus, the more and more you spend time with Jesus, the more and more you get to know him by, by reading his word, right? By, by, by talking to him through prayer, by, by, by actively applying the conviction of the spirit and working it out in obedience, right? The more you grow up, the more you mature. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, look, Christian, don't act like the pagan that you used to be, but act like Jesus. And the way you start acting like him is you start looking at him. And when you see him in all his authenticity, you start to see yourself for the counterfeit that you are. And his grace allows you to start to transform and to change. Are you tracking? Jesus gives us truth personified, okay? And when we see him, man, there's conviction and there should be response, all right? Um, what comes next is a bunch of practical examples of then how the Christian um, should 
look different and their conduct should change. And I don't have a ton of time to run through it. Look at verses 25 through 32. Um, but, but the Apostle Paul just runs through what it looks like to put on kingdom apparel. Okay, And I want to play with this analogy a little bit for us. Um, I, I gave up YouTube for 2023, okay? It's not part of CritFit 2023, but it sort of is, right? This is CritFit in my mind. Um, because if there's any, like, energy leak in my life, it's like watching two hours of YouTube between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. with my child. He's not watching. He's sleeping, but somehow I'm still awake um, because I can't go to sleep. And I, I watch all these videos that are really interesting, but nobody cares about. And then I get into conversations and I throw weird facts out and people are like, oh, you're weird. And I'm like, yeah, I, that's, that's silly. I shouldn't talk about that, right? Um, one of them is I watch 21, 22-year-olds who are athletes and how they spend their first million, okay, football players. I find it fascinating, all right? So I was watching one on Jamar Chase, go Tigers, LSU boy, playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he walked through how he spent his first million, okay? And it's just fascinating, right? Some of these, these college kids that I knew as students, and then you're talking to them, and, man, they, they're eating ramen noodles. And then the next day, I mean, they're just, they got a, a whole new wardrobe, right? Their drip is fly, right? I don't know if you know what drip means, but that's like, that means clothing. Um, so... And, <laughs> You should know that, college kids. Um, just cool stuff from Crit. Nothing big. Nothing big. Staying hip. Um, so what I find fascinating about, though, is, you know, in one moment, I'll translate this. I'll take it out of LSU country and bring it into Hoosier country. You're watching these IU basketball players, and shoot, now with NIL, some of these guys are making millions. Um, but you're watching them walk around, and it's nice, jumpsuits, but it's like you're still living in jumpsuits, right? You're getting handed Adidas jumpsuits, and you look good. Right, but you're you're walking around in jumpsuits, and then the day of the draft, I mean, you go from like jumpsuit to like real suit, right? You 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 go from wearing Adidas to wearing Armani, okay? And in some ways, you go, man, that's just like it's just external clothing, it's just superfluous, but it's not. There's an identity transformation that's happening, right? Because especially friends that I had that I knew as you know football players, backups in college, are now like pro bowlers. They change, right? Friends change. Attitude changes, right? Way of life changes. All these things start to happen. And how strange would it be if you did see a multimillionaire football player still rocking around in his Adidas jumpsuit after he just, like, signed a massive guaranteed money contract? He'd be like, dude, come on, like, put on a new wardrobe, you know? Like, it kind of goes with the territory, Right, so in the same way as a Christian, and even more so, um, because it, we're talking about conduct, we're not even talking about what you put on, we're talking about how you live. If something as radical as you encountering God happens, your conduct should look different. It should be transformed. You should have kingdom apparel that you're wearing day in and day out. And by kingdom apparel, I don't mean like some like Christian t-shirt. When I was prepping the sermon, I started thinking about when I first became a believer, uh, I, was, I was going into high school, the gospel, I had heard it a million times, but I just, I heard it for the first time. And I was like, whoa, you mean Jesus died for me? And for whatever reason, just growing up, I, I knew that Jesus died for our sins, I just didn't know he died for my sins, because I was super self-righteous, and I didn't think I had any. 
And so I remember repenting of my sin, more importantly, repenting of my self-righteousness, and I go to this, like, Christian conference in, in D.C., and there's, like, 15,000, like, young people, and it's just awesome, right? And, and half the time you're there, you're, like, looking around, you're like, whoa, you're a Christian, and you're good-looking, you know, maybe we can get married one day, and, then, you know, you know how the thing is, right? Um, but I really did have a real encounter with God, but I was just young and immature, and I remember, like, going up to the... the um, the merch booth, and, and they had all this stuff, and there's this T-shirt that said, Darwin's dead, Jesus isn't. And I was like, that is so cool. I'm going to buy that. So I buy this T-shirt, and I just thought the quip was so cool because, like, it said what I wanted to, like, make sense of, you know, like, but it just said in, like, a, a statement, and then I could wear it, and then, like, I could make a statement. And I, was, I look back, and I just laugh, right? I just laugh at my young, immature self. Um, <clears throat> It's, it's a true statement. Um, I don't think um, that's what this passage, actually I can guarantee you, that's not what this passage is talking about, okay? What this passage is talking about is actually something way more um, compelling, all right, to a watching world, all right, that your conduct starts to change and transform. So uh, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying um, don't go get your your T-shirt, you know, that, you know, I don't know even what the T-shirt, don't go get your WWJD bracelet. I'm not even saying, like, don't go get your ictus tattoo or your dove on your foot, ladies, or whatever your thing is. Like, you know, like, put your Keep Your Christ in Christmas sign in the yard. Fine. I don't care. That sounds great. But please don't let it just be that, okay? Because that's not compelling, and it actually doesn't really appeal to a watching world um, in any way, shape, or form, because if we understand the pervasiveness of sin and we have any degree of sympathy from what we used to be before we were Christians, man, we have hard hearts and darkened understandings, and so little quippy slogans doesn't change anything. But what does? Your conduct. The way you live your life around your family that doesn't believe what you believe. The way they watch you change over the years. And the way the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus comes out in your life. You're more loving and more joy-filled and more patient and more kind and more gentle and, and, and more in self-control, right? The, the, the way you interact with your friend group and your peers, and you're the furthest thing from judgmental because you understand, yeah, when I had a hard heart and a clouded mind, of course I acted like a pagan. That's what pagans do, right? So it should make you just super empathetic, super humble. And it's like, yeah, I get it. I was there too. I hated God. Because God was there to rob my joy. And I gave him two proverbial middle fingers. Like that, that's where we were at until we encountered the gospel, okay? And what Apostle Paul's saying is now that you have, everything should be changing and you should put on kingdom apparel, okay? Now, again, I don't have tons of time to break all this down. What I don't want you to do is read these couple verses, and this is just a plug for city groups. Um, this is why we, we want to push you guys from Rose to Horseshoes so that you can dialogue about the text and really work through it and live it out and apply it. Um, so, so they'll be talked about in our city groups this week as they kick off, um, and I definitely would encourage you to jump in one of those. But, but please don't misread this passage as a bunch of do's and don'ts, all right? Don't read it as don't lie, don't be angry, don't steal, don't curse, don't fight, don't fornicate, don't make dirty jokes. Okay? It, yes, that's all true, 
But it's got to be more than that, okay? So I just want to point out a couple of things. I want you to see how the Apostle Paul doesn't just speak to conduct and leave it there, but he tethers it to conviction. Every single one of them. Like, let's take the first one real quick. Um, Therefore, putting away lying, speak truth each one to his neighbor. And then he gives a because, right? It's not just a because I said so, which is like the worst thing you can ever hear from a parent, right? The Bible doesn't work that way. Extremely pra- practical. It just, and, and the Apostle Paul goes, because we're, we're members of one another. So work that through, Christian. What does lying do to somebody that you're actually supposed to be one with? It brings division. It brings brokenness. It completely undercuts any degree of trust and security. Right? So do you see how the Apostle Paul starts going deeper and deeper and deeper? Now, I, I, the reason I don't want to go in this chunk is I actually want to point you to an exercise that, that we do with our, our leaders a ton. Um, I might have talked about it here in this gathering before, but it's a little exercise called Two Trees. And we don't have time to do the exercise, and it's not the right environment to do it. Um, but this is, this is something that, that every Christian needs to learn how to do uh, automatically so that they can really apply the gospel to their life each and every day. Okay? Now, I want you to picture two trees, okay? Um, well, I want you to picture one right now, and another one kind of like fade in, in the periphery. Um, but it's got bad fruit, all right? Uh, it's your life, okay? It's your life before Christ. Now, the temptation in religion is to look at that bad fruit, and, and maybe you even come under conviction, okay? Um, it could be worldly shame, or it could be godly conviction, but you notice the fruit is bad, just dealing with your conduct is like going and trying to rip all that bad fruit off and then like taping good like Honeycrisp apples that you bought from Kroger because that's the best kind of apple. It's like taping Honeycrisp apples onto your tree limbs and you're like, yeah, right? You're just doing behavioral modification, okay? What the Apostle Paul's trying to get us to do is go beneath the bad fruit to the bad root. So the Christian is someone who asks the question, why? Why did I just explode on that person and get so angry because they challenged this? Do you have the courage to do that, to look inward? If you're a Christian, you should, right? Uh, And we'll talk about why, but you should because, like, you're not looking for approval, from the world or security from the world, okay? Um, right, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Christian starts going a little deeper. So I want you to hear this. Under every sin is some sort of lie. Under every sin is some sort of lie. If rebellion, then, is changing the truth for a lie, then repentance is changing the lie for the truth. Okay? And so the Christian hopefully matures the point where they can, they can take four steps. You can identify the, the lie by naming, you can name the sin and go, man, that's wrong, okay? That's a lie. I'm lying to my neighbor, okay? Um, then you can actually expose the lie under the sin, which is kind of the hardest part. Um, why did I lie to my neighbor, right? Because I really care way too much about what people think about me, and if I got seen as incompetent, That's terrifying. You see where I'm going? How much deeper that is? Okay. Then you need to be able to articulate the truth. Okay. Which is, man, what's true is I'm fully approved of in Christ. And God sees me this way. And so I don't need to look for my approval from everybody else around me. 
and then you can pursue good fruit. You see how it works? You go from the bad fruit to the bad root, and you replace it, dealing with good root, and then you get good fruit. That is preaching the gospel to yourself each and every day as a Christian, and that is growing up, okay? And then you can start to, like, really work through um, why do you do what you do, and why is your conduct what it is? It's because you're believing something wrongly, or you're thinking something wrongly because ultimately you're believing something wrongly. And until you can reverse that cycle, you're only going to be doing behavior modification. Right? We tracking? All right, let me close out for us. Um, and uh, if you want to talk more about that, obviously, I'll be in the back because it's a lot. Let me close out for us and read five on down. Okay? So he says this, closing out. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So sexual immorality, any impurity or greed shouldn't even be heard among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, rather giving thanks. And then such a punch. Know and recognize this, that every sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Another way to put it is, if you understand that the kingdom of God is holy, and only those who are holy get in, what are you doing playing around in the mud over here, Christian? Right? That's his appeal. You're actually forgetting who you are. And you're dabbling and dawdling in things that you shouldn't. Okay? What I want you to see is that at the, at the root of it all, a sin problem is a worship problem. A sin problem is a worship problem. Therefore, a sin solution has to be a worship solution. You have to go beneath the fruit to the root, beneath the conduct, and get to the conviction. Okay? Now, see this real quick. Okay? Every sexual, look at verse 5, immoral, impure, greedy person, and then it has this little tag, who is an idolater. What that passage is saying is the conduct is sexual morality, the conduct is impurity, the conduct is even greed. But the conviction beneath that, the heart issue beneath that, is idolatry. It's because you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're worshiping someone else's approval, not God's. You're finding security in something else, money, not God's, right? Are you tracking with that? So for us to really grow up, for us to really change, for us to, to really be transformed, we got to worship the only being that's worthy of worship. And when we do, that starts to change us from the inside out. It brings us full circle. And the only way that happens is if your, help, if your heart gets melted. All right? So I want to end on this, this verse in 5.1. Be imitators of God. How do you change your conduct and act godly? Well, man, you got to see that ultimately Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Sin is so pervasive in our hearts, we couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't clean ourselves up. We couldn't do anything about it. We can deal with conduct, but man, like clouded heads and hard hearts. And so what has to happen? Well, what does Olaf say? Only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. Doesn't he? Who knew Dizzy knew the Bible? The greatest act of true love 
is Jesus Christ giving his life for you. And the more and more that act melts your heart, the more and more it's going to transform you from the inside out. The more and more your conduct is going to look more like him and less like your old self. Right? It's the gospel. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he had to die for you, for your sin, because you dug yourself in the hole and you couldn't get yourself out of it. When that starts to just melt you, that he got your unrighteousness and you got his righteousness, then you start to change. And the Christian life is remembering that and meditating on that day in and day out, moment in and moment out, interaction in and interaction out until they look different. So let me pray for us that we would be the kind of church that would look different, that would change, that wouldn't just come here and receive a transfer of information, but would allow the information to really seep down in our hearts and bring about transformation. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and I pray for this church. I pray for those that are your children, that they'd look more like you, that they'd be a chip off the old block, that they'd be able to see growth in their lives, that they do the hard work as you work in their lives with the Spirit, that they come alongside you and put in the effort, the energy, to just work out what you're working in. We want to look beautiful, not for our own sake, but for yours. We want this city to know you, and the best way that's going to happen is if we go out and we're good representatives, good ambassadors, good emissaries that actually picture you, how good and gracious and just delightful you are. So I pray that uh, you would transform us by the power of your spirit, that we'd see you for who we are and we wouldn't be the same because of it. And as we stand, as we sing, would you empower us to worship, to say all the right things that are true about you, And as we do, would you change us? We love you, Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.